0: Hey everybody, the June 2022 Roundup is brought to you by Fun Again Games. And hello everybody, I'm here to talk about games, although not as many games as I normally do in a monthly roundup. Jedi, we like to squeeze in maybe 15 or so games on average, but this month, the month of June... Uh suffice to say, we had some very big life-changing events come up that we had to take care of, and uh yeah, just gobbled up a lot of time. It was you know, I, I don't even want to dwell on it. I just want to focus on the good stuff that happened in June. And while there was plenty of bad stuff, the good stuff is we did still find time to play games. Ten of them. And even though that's not as much as we normally do, I like to get maybe 15 games in a month. And I know you're saying ten games? 10 new games you never played for in one month? That's crazy! Well, for me, it's a little subpar, but uh, the nice thing is, even though there are only 10, they were 10 fantastic games, and I cannot wait to tell you all about them. And uh, before we get to that, though, it's not just the Rotto Run Show anymore, folks. I've got some contributors. I've got Shay, I've got Kimberly, I've got Ruel, I've got Ryan, I've got Amy, I've got Maggie... There's a whole bunch of us, and they played some games too. So before we get to the countdown, where I count down the 10 best games Jen and I played this month, and again, they're all wonderful things, uh, I'm going to cede the floor to the contributors to the channel. And this month, how about we start with Kimberly, Professor Tolson, and see what she got up to on the channel. So without any further ado, Kimberly, take it away.
2: Thanks, Richard. So Kimberly here, and I sure played a bunch of games in June. I got four games under my belt for the channel. And so I'm just going to jump right into it. And I'm going to end with a handful of games that I got to play this past weekend in a kind of personal summer con, just really me and my husband. Uh, So that in just a little bit. But first, I played Umbrella Academy. Yes, that was a paid preview, but it is a super cool deck builder. I like it because you can play... Three different villains or villain groups, and so you're not always playing the same game against the same baddies. And every character is playing, um, every person is playing a character that's in the Umbrella Academy, the story. So if you're familiar with the IP, you get to play number five, or you get to play oh boy, what, Kraken? (laughs) I think those are the names. Um, But you get to be these siblings, and each of the siblings has a very unique skill set. And that means that every deck is unique. Every every player has a totally different set of cards that they are deck building. And in most deck builders, you add. Well, in this game, you don't add cards. You can have advantage cards, which give you a one-off And you can keep from round to round if you don't use it. But once you use it, it's gone. Otherwise, you are playing with the same cards and cycling through them. So you get through your deck pretty fast. And you also find a really nice balance in which characters to play with how many players you have. So you can try out all these different characters, which is really cool. Again, it's versatile, it's flexible, and I think it makes it replayable. So players are trying to save the world. There's this awesome board in the center, and you're going to these locations that are really familiar, like the hospital, um, like the mansion, like the moon. You've got Space Boy going up to the moon and doing really cool stuff up there. And you are trying to clear hazards from the board in the first half. And in the second half, you are trying to defeat the villain because the villain can't, be be defeated in the very beginning of the game. You have to wait until you get the save the world card in your deck. But if you run out of cards um, drawing to place out hazards and advantages at the kind of cleanup phase, you lose. If a person gets too many hits, And they can't draw any more cards, they lose. And which means everybody loses because this is cooperative. You're working together, but there's some conflict in this game. And that comes with the feud cards. And so you have this tension between you and your uh, fellow players because your characters are kind of butting heads every now and then. Nice, clean, easy, straightforward game. And I think it's a, a new kind of a deck builder that I haven't necessarily seen before. So thumbs up for the Umbrella Academy. The next uh, couple games that I played are just—they uh, they, kind of tie in my in my mind of, of like favorites. <laughs> uh, they're really good, and so I'm just going to jump into one and then the other. But know that I like them both pretty much the same. Um, the second game is Septima, and Septima is also a paid preview. But wow, does it have theme and spades, and it's got this wonderful action selection. I love that players have all these cards. And you can play any of those cards on your turn, essentially as your action. And you can't get that card back again until the end of the round. And you take all your cards back and you get to start the next season. And you can play that card again. Or you can play the remember card. And the remember card lets you remember the kind of spell you cast with the previous any cards that you've played, um, you know, in that particular season. And so you're playing cards out, trying to do things. There's this wonderful board where you can collect all of these resources, but you have to be aware of the witch hunters because they're going to hear you doing witch stuff and they're going to come and nab you. And if they nab you, they come and take your witch leader and they put them up on trial, which is kind of my favorite part of the whole game is you are trying to gather all of these townspeople throughout the season to support you and to support your coven because you want to bring witches into your um, control, your coven, and not you know your opponent's coven because they're going to give you uh, special actions uh, during the game if you put them in the top two positions or they're going to give you the ability to score more end game points. And so there's this really cool trial and there's drawing from the bag and you could get hostile citizens or neutral citizens or loyal citizens. And so there's just so much to love about Septima. There are a lot of moving parts and there's an advanced game, an advanced play with the right track and the charm cards, which I highly recommend for any strategy gamer, for any, you know, well-seasoned gamer to play with those um, advanced Plays and advanced boards, definitely a thumbs up on that. But the game is just so dynamic and again, thoughtful and thematic. So for me, I thought Septima was just a really, really fun, fun game. Um, I got into it a lot. I had a really good time playing it, and you probably could tell in the run through too. But uh, it's a super, super game, and I love that there are some other elements to it that you can add, like the um, transmutation where you get to change into your animal form. Ah, oh, that's an, that's an addition. That's kind of like a little mini expansion that you get. And so you could play with that and you could start changing in your animal form. And when you're in your animal form, the witch hunters can't see you. And so you're kind of safe from suspicion. So, so fun. You're casting spells. You can tell, right? This is all witch themed. So lovely, lovely game with Septima. I enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed my next game, which is Skyrise. And Skyrise was also a paid preview. But what a lovely theme and what amazing components Skyrise has. It's such a table presence game. So when you're looking at it, you've got these beautiful cloud islands and you're kind of in this utopia world where everyone is just happy and you've got all your basic needs met. So what are you doing? You're building these these buildings. You're building these structures And it's just about artistry and it's about philosophy and, you know, really lovely, uh, you know, thinky stuff, which, of course, appeals to me. So I, I enjoy the idea of the game. I love the components and how they fit together. And you have these beautiful structures that you get to build. And there are level one, level two and level three structures. And your numbers on the bottom of your structure go from low to high based on those levels you have access to about half of them in the beginning of the game. And in the second half of the game, you get access to the rest of them. And the system, the structure of this game seems like something I would not get into. I have to be honest. I'm not the biggest on auction games or on bidding games. To me, I just feel like I always do the wrong thing. (laughs) I'm always bidding too much or too little. Or They're the games where it's like you bid once. And then you're out of the round or you you bid until you get back to the start player and then uh, they can veto everything and just take everything, whatever they want. No, no, not in this game. The auction in this is so smart and it makes you really just like really think through your turn. So what a player is going to do is they are going to take one of their buildings, any building that they have access to, and they're going to place it on a region in any island in the main central board area. And they simply are saying, I want this spot. I want this spot and I want this token that's in this spot. And it just goes clockwise. The next player says, well, I will outbid you by putting a higher valued building, not necessarily a taller building, but a higher value on the number. And you have to place that adjacent to the spot that the original player put it on, which is the most recent player. And that means that you want that spot, not the not the first spot, but the new spot. And then the next player says, I'm going to play adjacent to one of your spots if I want to keep playing a higher numbered building. Now, you can just say, I pass them out. I don't want to I don't want any of those spaces and I don't want to play a higher number than you played. And if it comes back to that player, they get that spot. So the auction is just this trail of buildings placed in these locations. And every time you get outbid, you're not getting that spot. Nobody else is getting the spot that you put your building in either. It's always a new adjacent spot. So it's just fascinating and you're constantly thinking, okay, if I play this building, then I can't have that building and I can't have that number. And I need this height because I want to get the tallest building in every, you know, island. You're going to get island control for majority, which is the highest building or the the largest amount of your highest building. I want to get the, the, um, blimps because I want, you know, these are the zeppelins because I get these points and I have a secret card that says I get bonuses if I go in this particular region. And there's just so many fun things about what goes into your bid. And that's it. You just place buildings out the entire game and you're taking little tokens and those tokens are giving you um, essentially multipliers for the locations that your buildings are in. So you're gaining those multipliers and you're putting them on your personal board, but you're also getting investors and people who support you. And those are just going to be straight up victory points. There's so much to like about this. So the theme is there. The production is there. So when you have that beautiful board with all those 3D pieces, the, the table presence is you know spot on. I like it. I like the gameplay too. I love the bidding aspect of it. So it works really well. It's super replayable. Um, and I just think it's kind of clever. I just I just like it. And it surprised me, which is maybe why I put it just up above Septimus, because the bidding took me by surprise. And I'm not necessarily one that says, yeah, I want to play a bidding game or an auction game. So um, thumbs up for Skyrise. The last game that I played was Caesar, Caesarum in 20 minutes, and you do. You actually Rome in 20 minutes. This is a two-player game, and you are playing Caesar versus Pompeii, and it's just a simple board, a tiny board out there. This comes in a small box, but there's a lot packed in there. I, I, I love how streamlined it is. And if you have played Blitzkrieg, this is by the same designer, and it's got the same concept, but it is... Again, streamlined. Blitzkrieg for me didn't take 20 minutes. It took me more than 20 minutes. Caesar took me 20 minutes to play every time I played it, whether I was by myself or with someone else, because you can play this game solo. Players have two of these influence discs, and they're going to look at one of them and take one and place it on a border between two provinces. And you're going to place it down on a space that matches. So you've got your ship icon, or you've got your sword icon, um, or you've got the wild and you've got the other icon. There's another one. <laughs> I forget, is it the front? No, the fronds are the wilds. Which one is it? Is it flags? No, I don't remember what the other icon is. But there are three icons in a wild. And so you place it down in a matching space and you are simply saying, I have this much army going this direction on this province, and I have this much army strength going this direction. And so it's any combination of six. So zero and six, five and one, uh, four and two, three and three, right? That's what you're going to find on those little, um, you know, discs, those influence discs. The cool thing is you don't just win control of a region when it's closed off. The player who places the last disc to finish a region gets the province bonus. And the province bonus is so important. It's so vital to play. And those are gonna allow you to manipulate the game, like take an extra turn or turn over an opponent's disc so that they maybe don't have as much influence or control over the board. It might give you another choice. So now you get three of those tokens to pick from, not just two. So there's some fun, fun stuff with the province bonuses. And when you gain control of a region, you put one of your control markers out. If you have an adjacent region that you also control, you put another one out because your forces are amassing and they're really supporting you because they are next to you, right? They're in the, they're in the adjacent province. And all you want to do is get your influence tokens out. You want to put those um, control markers on the board. First person to get all their control markers out wins. There's also the Senate. Ah, There's so much fun stuff. I'll talk about this game forever. This is, this is my favorite game of the month. I really was surprised by this. I enjoyed it immensely. I think it's just a strong game. It's a fun game. It's a fast game, perfect for one or two players. Just can't say enough good things about Caesar. Caesar Rome in 20 minutes. Okay, so I'm gonna tell you real fast. I did a summer con. I don't know if it's really a summer con. It's just me in my basement with my husband. And I played a handful of games. I just played these yesterday. So um, Lewis is part of the monthly Buttonshy um, subscription. So he gets those little pocket games that have 18 cards in them, like Agropolis and Sprawlopolis. And so he got Forest Sky. We played that twice. Really fun, fast uh, set collection um, m- mechanic with cards in your hand and then cards on the table that you might be sharing with your opponent. Really, really fun combinations. I think it's amazing what you can do with 18 cards uh, and still have just a really cool, clever game. So we played Forest Sky twice. We played Kites by Floodgate Games, and that is a real-time cooperative flipping timers game. Talk about stress. Talk about excitement. Talk about like, And the uh, timers are actually keeping... they're representing the kites in the sky and so you want to keep them flying and if they ever run out of sand the game stops and you count the remaining cards in your hand and you're playing these cards down to flip over the sand timers to keep them running. Really really cool fun game. Uh, I had a really good time but I like real-time games so for me just loads of fun. We also played two maps in Dungeons, Dice, and Danger And even after the second game, we were still playing it wrong. So (laughs) just make sure you read the rules and you remember that there's just a lot to do when you play it, but the games were fast. They were fun. I had a great time. It's a roll and write game um, and I I really liked it. So both times, even though we kept playing it wrong, um, just forgetting small rules here and there, I'm still a great time. So we're going to play it a third time soon and we're going to play with all of the rules. That's my goal. Oh, we played, the two maps were clumsy cultists and annoyed animals. Okay, we also played Circadian's First Light, which is a hardy medium weight strategy game with worker dice placement. Woo! Like that's like so one of my favorite five mechanics. I love the dice worker placement. And there's a lot going on in this game. When Lewis was explaining the rules, I just kept going, okay, okay, now let's play. Let's play. Let's play. I'm ready to play. And there were just more and more and more and more to explain and talk about. But once we got going, loads of fun. Really, what a thinker. What a fun strategy game. I liked it. I liked it a lot. And then lastly, we played a super fast game of Dice Realms. It was our Seventh game of dice rounds, But what we're doing is we're going through the suggested extra five dice. Um, the on the back of the player aid card, there are all of these different listed um play with these five, these five, these five, these five. So we've gone through four of those already, the first four, and we're just playing with the recommendations. And I had a great time. It was fun. We play so fast. I think we can set up play and break down in 25 minutes. <laughs> we just played ice rounds, the two of us. Um, So loads of fun. I've been enjoying that game. And if you want to hear more about those games, uh, check out my channel at Tabletop TabletopTolson and also stay tuned for um, a Caesar giveaway on my channel um, this summer as well. So go and check it out. And thank you so much for watching this and for uh, checking out all of the playthroughs at Rotto Runs Through that I did in the month of June. Okay, I am ready to pitch it to Shay. Tell me what's up. What did you do in June?
1: Hey folks, so I covered three games on the channel this month, although a couple of the videos aren't out just yet, but they will be pretty soon. Uh, And I really liked all of them, but of course we must rank them, so let's dive in with my number three, which was Royal Hospital. This is a paid Kickstarter preview, and this is an engine-building game about running your own hospital. uh, And, you know, competing to have the best hospital, essentially. Uh, So you are going to be playing as you know doctors, you're... Treating your patients, uh, that's the big thing. Uh, You've got every round you're going to get some patients that you need to diagnose and treat. uh, And you'll do that with a bunch of different resources. Uh, And it honestly felt at first a little bit like Terraforming Mars, much more stripped down version of it. But you've got that same kind of thing of resources. You've got uh, every round you'll get an income of those resources. And you'll spend those resources to do a lot of different things. A lot of them spending money to play cards. Uh, cards are you know, building up your engine in a lot of different ways. But you end up spending the different resources to play cards or to diagnose and treat your patients. There's a lot of interplay between the resources, between the cards that you play and the patients you have to treat. And uh, on top of that, you know, there's also a few tracks on the board that if you move uh, up on them, you get certain uh, bonuses. And I really, really liked it, though I wanted a, just a tiny bit more um, at the beginning, so just a little bit more to differentiate you between uh, the different players, you know, like a starting bonus, player power, something like that. Um, but I did really like that it let you choose your own path in a really interesting way. Everyone gets uh, an, a starting ability, which allows you to go, move forward on one of four different tracks however you want each turn. That was really, really nice. Um, So that was Royal Hospital. My number two game was Majesty of Dragons. This is another Kickstarter preview. And this is a two-player card game, head-to-head battle, where you are recruiting dragons to your side and using them to fight each other until one of you is the, uh, the winner. Now, uh, from that description, you might think that this is kind of like Magic the Gathering. It is not. Not at all. Um, there are a few different ways to win. One of them, yeah, you can win by killing your opponent's dragons. You get you know, rage points for these, and you get five rage, and you win. Uh, and you get a rage by just killing a dragon. There's Mostly, that's just done through combat. But combat is very positional in this game, or it's very tactical. Because, one, you have to spend a little bit of money to send out your dragons to attack but also the defender decides how to defend Uh, so you need to know going in that you're going to have an overwhelming attack before you do that or you need to be very tactical about when you do Um, the other way to win uh, one of the other ways to win is by having the most majestic dragons around you you, if you have uh, dragons with a total majesty of 30 majesty uh, then you win and that's uh, or 20 majesty to win I think it was yeah Uh, and that's difficult to do because you can only have five dragons. And most of the time, dragons have a maximum of three majesty or four sometimes, but that's still hard to get to. And getting the dragons is an auction mechanic uh, between you and the other player, where if you make a bid and then they beat you on that bid, you don't have that money until the end of the round, which means you can't spend it on a different dragon. So there's a lot of really intense, really strategic thinking about it. And it, uh, the the only thing that, that helped me up a little bit about it was um, sometimes it felt like you were spending the entire game positioning and then it was over really quickly. But I do think that's kind of the point of the game. It, it is trying to be very tactical. And it's that kind of you know eyeing each other, uh, eyeing your opponent from across the room and, and you're trying to get yourself into exactly the right position before you strike. Because if you strike too early or strike too late, you might uh, you might lose it all. Um, So it has a really strong tactical sense to it. Oh, and the dragons in this game are beautifully illustrated. They're just absolutely gorgeous. I know uh, people who would buy this game just to have a a deck full of uh, cool-looking dragon people, or just dragons and also dragon people. It's just beautifully illustrated. The the artist uh, is also the artist for Isle of Cats. It has a similar kind of uh, occasionally whimsical style. Um, so that was my number two Majesty of Dragons. My number one is Massive Darkness 2, uh, by Cool Mini or Not. And this game, uh I, I came into it thinking I was gonna like it, and I definitely did, and I was surprised by how much I did because it is Uh, It's a dungeon, uh, you know, uh, a dungeon crawl kind of game. I thought it was going to be a campaign game. It kind of is, but also kind of isn't. It's sort of a campaign light because every time you do a new scenario, even though it is going through the story, you're resetting your characters starting from level one and just, you know, going from your starting equipment and and going from there. But that means that you can try out all of the different classes and within each class, you can try out all the different avenues that you could possibly take because Within the classes, there's a lot of different things you can do, but also the classes themselves are so interesting because each one of them has a completely different like mini game associated with just how the class works. So in the run through, I showed you the ranger, which had this like pusher luck mechanic and the shaman, which had kind of a resource management uh, situation going on. But there's also like the wizard who has this wheel of spells. And whenever you activate one spell, you have to move this dial to go to the next one and then you can activate that one or you can pay a little extra mana to keep it rotating. Um and then when you upgrade you have to replace the spells that are on the board with new ones, which are constantly doing new stuff. All of the all the classes are like this. They all have really, really interesting ways to to go about them. Uh, and it was just a really fun game. Also, you know, cool me or not, they do great minis. It the game looks beautiful. And it's just it's just so, it felt really inventive. It felt like it was kind of shaking up the, the dungeon crawl. And even though it had a lot of the standard tropes, it's, it. I wouldn't say it subverted them, but it definitely just went a little bit to the side with them. So it was always just a little bit more interesting than you'd expect. I felt, when I was playing that game, a lot of the time, it was like, I thought I knew what I was getting, and I was pretty close, but it was just a little bit more interesting. So I definitely recommend it. Massive Darkness 2, that's my number one game of the month, uh, and that's all for this month. I will pass it back to you, Rado, and I will tell you all goodbye.
0: Thank you, Shay and Kimberly. Those are some very, very cool games. But you know what, folks? I have other contributors to the channel. Uh, perhaps you've met Ruel Gaviola? Well, uh, normally, he's doing the r show with me. But this month, Ruel got on camera and did a run-through for Brett Valda, which is a very cool, very big in scope 4X game set in ancient Britain. And um, wow, it's, it's an eyeful and... And the game is doing very, very well on GameFound right now, and I know Ruel really enjoyed the game quite a bit. Uh, You can follow the links down in the show note to go check out his run-through, same as um, Shay and Kim. I don't want you to miss any of them. But if you're looking for big, expansive, and yet Fairly, um, you know, straightforward, almost kind of elegant, but you know, there's a lot of hidden surprising depth. You definitely want to check out Ruel's run through of Brett Valda. But it wasn't just Ruel, folks. Uh, we also had a video from Ryan Crichton of Nights Around the Table. He covered Gathering Gloom, which was actually on Kickstarter, and very, very sadly, it failed to fund. But I've heard from the folks behind this game, which is Probably the biggest, uh, most elaborate um, co-op board game I've seen since probably Arkham Horror, although it's much more Euro-focused and less Ameritrash-style thing, where players are uh, members of a spooky family who are trying to do all sorts of murder and mayhem on an unsuspecting town and get away with it. Uh, it's uh, If you check out Ryan's Rules Run-Through, it's the biggest, most elaborate one he's ever done, because this is a huge game, and I'm looking forward to the relaunch... I'm actually kind of intrigued to play the game myself now because this goes so far above and beyond so many cool thematic touches and flourishes throughout as you try to outwit the uh, townsfolk that are coming for you in Gathering Gloom. And last but not least, the newest contributors to the channel, Amy and Maggie of Thinker Themer, sat down and did a very entertaining run-through of the new 2022 edition of Fjords, which is a game I covered many, many years ago, the old version, but this new one that was on Kickstarter recently and was a really big hit adds so much to the original game. And I have to admit, I even though I felt I knew Fjords really well, watching Amy and Maggie play this thing, and man, it comes down to a photo finish. They play all the way from start to finish. I won't spoil who won, but you're the winner, folks, if you watch this run-through from start to end, because Amy and Maggie are just a blast. They're clearly having a lot of fun with each other, and I think you'll enjoy it too when you check out their wonderful run-through of Fjords 2022. But uh, in addition to all those contributors, of course, my wife and I, we played a few games this month as well. Um, As I said right up front, only 10. But, oh my gosh, these were 10 amazing games. So, uh, in countdown form, let's start with number 10... Leviathan Wilds. Uh, now, this was a paid Kickstarter preview, as was the uh, video for Ryan and Ruel. Uh, and this is going to be going live on Kickstarter very, very soon. It might already be live by the time you're watching this, I think, if I recall correctly. That might be the case. But what is it? This game is what happens if you turn the C- PlayStation 2 classic Shadow of Colossus into a board game. In this cooperative game, we are daredevil climbers in a fantasy universe. Uh, we uh, all have a deck of unique powers. We actually create our deck of powers, combining them with with our basic character, based on who our character is. Plus, we get to um, do some deck building, or some deck pre-construction, kind of like Marvel Champions to make, uh, hey, this time I'm going to be the healer, but I'm going to focus on stealth. Or I'm going to be the, um, you know, the, the muscle-bound character, but I'm going to focus on speed. So you can make a unique uh, character every time you play, because you make your deck right from the get-go. And then you start climbing up the side of a gigantic, world-shattering Leviathan that is running wild, destroying everything in sight. But unlike the original Shows Colossus PlayStation 2 game, we are not here to kill the Leviathan. We are here to save it. There are dice all over the place that represent binding crystals that are driving the Leviathans, which are normally peaceful creatures, into these rampages. And so we have to climb all over the place and literally chip away at these crystals to clear them off, to save the Leviathan, and therefore save the world. And every round, we've got three up to three cards we can play, one of which we will use to get a certain number of action points and certain defense, and the other two we can use as special powers. And when your turn starts, it's always a tough choice. Which of these cards am I going to give up to you know spend action points so I can climb, so I can glide from one arm to the other, so I can make huge heroic jumps from the ground up to the hand as it's swinging by? These really big, cool, epic cinematic moments. And which cards am I going to keep in my hand so that I can use them as instant interrupts when we need them to get, like, an extra little bit of movement, even if it's your turn. Because much like Pandemic, a big part of this game, much more so than Pandemic, is playing car- my cards on your turn to either save me from events that happen on your turn or help you deal with stuff you can't deal with. Every card is multi-use. Uh, you either use it to get the energy and the protection, or you use it for the one-time special abilities, and there's so much flexibility. Not only in our characters, and our decks, but also in Leviathans themselves. My prototype tip, uh, can it came with five Leviathans. It got progressively more complex and did really interesting, fun stuff. You can watch my run-through to get a sense for just how uh, much is going on there once the campaign goes live, if it hasn't already. I'm pretty sure it has by now, though. And um, the important thing is, the final game, as I understand it, is going to come with 20 Leviathans. All with cool special effects, events, all kinds of neat stuff. So this game is going to have a ton of replayability built in. And as I said in my run-through, I think this is maybe the most thematic, immediately, viscerally thematic, cooperative board game I have ever played. This game has mechanisms that make you feel the desperation as you're trying to hold on for dear life as this thing tries to shake you off its back. It's really clever, and watch for its soon um, if it's not already available. Again, uh, the uh, links are down in the show notes for the Kickstarter for my number 10 of the month, Leviathan. Or Leviathan Wilds. Sorry. But now let's move on to number nine, First Rat, um, which is an adorable game all about a bunch of junkyard rats who have discovered that, hey, you know what? The moon is made of cheese. If we can actually build a rocket out of all this junk we have, old busted-up calculators, empty uh, green bean cans, um, uh, you know, uh, 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 what's it like Listerine bottles, all just kinds of very and sundry junk, we can make this rocket, and we could be set for life. And so that's what we're trying to do in this, what looks like, very, very simple, lightweight, family-friendly game. But do not be fooled. Do not judge this book by its cover, folks. Because there is a lot of really interesting and intricate gameplay, because the board itself is a path through the junkyard that is randomly generated every time you play. Every stop, you can either get cheese, which is money for the, uh, for the rats. And by the way, don't think nasty gross rats these are cute adorable rats with silly funny names like Lola rat and stuff like that or or rat armstrong is one of the astronaut rats we can uh you can, we can um embody but um a- on your turn What you're gonna do is you're either you have a group of rats who can be walking along the path to get to the launch site for the rocket. And if you move just one of your rats, it can move up to five spaces. And wherever you land, you get to interact. You get to collect some cheese, you get to light the path, which will get you bonuses, you get to collect the resources you need to build the rocket, etc. etc. And so hey, we're racing, get to the rocket. I should always just move one guy, one rat, five spaces. Here's the deal: instead, you can move all of your rats up to three spaces, but only if each rat can land on a matching spot. So if each rat can land on a cheese spot, then I can move all of them. And so a big part of this game is making the tough choice. Am I just going to scream forward ahead with one to get the exact stuff? Or instead am I going to move my whole group more slowly and methodically and bring in huge amounts of resources so I can score points? Because um, there's points for making the end of the route, there's points for building things too. And then on top of that, there are other mechanisms. There's this very, very cool rondelle that lets you uh, go to the nursery and get more rats, or go to the comic books that inspired all the rats to do this to get more special powers, including, like I was saying, you know, special rats with unique player powers, like Rats Armstrong and and Lola Rat. I was very, very impressed by this game, as was Jen. We went in expecting this to be a really simple, lightweight game. And again, this is something I think, with a little bit of work, you could maybe play with families. I mean, you, there are definitely a lot of features you could probably turn off some of them, like maybe the shops, so it would be a little bit more straightforward and play with first timers. But my wife Jen and I, we are hardcore gamer geeks, and we found a lot of subtle depths in uh, depths in number nine of the month. First rat. Okay, then we go on to number eight, Helsinki, which is a game that's coming on Kickstarter. Again, the Kickstarter might already be live uh, when this when when you are watching this roundup, and if so, you can go check out my run through to learn more. But what is it? Well, um, this is a game from the designers of Copenhagen and or Copenhagen and uh, Flam Rouge and several other games aside, and we are all competing to design the best. Pavilion Fair in the Senate Square of Helsinki. And we're doing it with polyomino Tetris tiling, which I always love. But there's so many of these out here. What makes this one interesting? Well, first of all, uh, there's a really, really cool rondelle um, that we use for drafting cards, uh, where we can grab two cards at a time, and we're trying to match up uh, cards. So the, the card draft is fun, it's fast, it's very fluid, but what really makes this game step out is, once you end up getting enough cards to be able to build one of the various, sometimes very complex, polyomino shapes, you put it on a side of the board, and it slides in like Tetris. Most polyomino tile layers don't do that. Most po- They just let you put them wherever you want. But here, you have to slide them in, so you always have to be thinking, right, can I make a path for this thing to go where I want it to go? Much like in the original regular video game Tetris. So I love that. But here's what really elevates this game. This is four-directional Tetris. Because the pieces can come in from the north side, the south side, the east side, or the west side, and they have to slide in. But you don't get to pick what side they come in. Remember there's that rondelle that you're using? You're moving your little meeple around to to draft the cards? When you're going to build a pavilion, if your meeple is on the south side of the rondelle, you must come in from the south. If he's on the north side, you must come in from the north. So often you're like, yes, I can finally build this thing! But my meeple on the rondel is in the wrong place! So I've got to take another couple of turns where I can get there. And um, you know that interesting tension, these almost two completely separate games, this card drafting game and this tile laying game, really kind of mesh in really interesting ways. Now, you've seen this idea in a game that I covered earlier this year, Founders of Teotihuacan. The idea that, oh, wherever your meeple is around the board, that limits where you can bring stuff into the game. It worked great there. It worked great here. That was a heavier game. This is a wonderful gateway game. And my prototype already came with one very cool expansion that makes it much more complex. I've i, per- I have not seen the Kickstarter page yet, but I can't wait to see it if there's even more in store. But Jen and I were both very impressed by number eight of the month, Helsinki. Okay. Then we go on to number seven, The Isle of Trains. All aboard! Which is another paid Kickstarter preview uh, that we covered this month, like Helsinki and... Uh, Leviathan Wilds, and I think this is hasn't launched yet. I could be wrong because I'm actually filming my roundup way early this month, so I've completely lost track of time. But again, check the show notes if you want to know more, folks. Why did Jen and I enjoy this game so much? Well, first of all, even if my run through for All Aboard hasn't gone up yet, you can go back and watch my run through from six months ago, or six years ago of the original Isle of Trains, which was a brilliant little um. People want to call it a pick-up-and-deliver game, but it's really not. This is a game where we are using multi-use cards to... um Pay you you can use cards as resources to be able to build other cards, very much like you know a race for the galaxy type situation. But we can also these cards have a third use. They can be the cargo that we load into our trains. So once we you know if we can manage our hand of cards and you've run out of cards very quickly in this game and they're expensive and hard to come by, um, you know once you've started to build a train and you've started loading it up with cargo, you could then act you know access or activate these different locations on the main. which is made out of cards. This whole game is basically just cards and a few little pieces. A lot of game with a very small footprint here to be able to make deliveries and start scoring points. So it's a multi-use card game, hand management game with a pick-up-and-deliver feel and... A beautiful, bright, and vibrant presentation. Now, again, you can watch my original run-through from years ago, but this is All Aboard, which is like a, a sequel, and it adds several new things, the most important of which is we can now have passengers that we can put on our train as well, and we can deliver them. And so... What was already a great game six years ago has gotten so much better because it's really deep and rich. Trying to manage all your hands of cards to be able to smartly build or smartly use to get other stuff. But I buried the lead, folks. There's one other very important thing about this game. As you build a bigger and bigger train with cars that give you special powers or cars that can be loaded up with various commodities... Or passengers. Here's the thing. If I use a card from my hand to load up an oil tanker with oil of my own car, that's great. I can deliver it later. But if I load the oil tanker on your train, then I get huge bonuses, like monster bonuses. You know, bonuses that would give me like it would take me five turns to be able to do to be able to get the resources that I could get just by playing this one card to your car to your train. But if I do that, then I'm giving you the opportunity to make those deliveries and get those points. And so, this game has so much interplay between players because it's almost always better if you can, to load somebody else's car so you can get the really huge bonuses, but at the expense of um, not loading up your own car. But hopefully, people are loading your car as well so that you can make deliveries. But the, at the end of the day, the game is a race because once somebody delivers to one of the, um, the towns in the Isle of Trains, they take that card. Nobody else can make a delivery there. And the game is over pretty quick, so there's a lot of really interesting decisions. And like I said, go watch my run-through of the original, or if it's available, watch my run-through of the new one. Oh, and by the way, they added a fantastic solo mode, too, that I really enjoyed. The original did not have solo. Uh, but anyway, uh, Isle of Trains all aboard is fantastic, and uh, you can check out my paid Kickstarter preview for it to learn more. Phew! Okay, a um, lot of great games this month, folks. I mean, we didn't play a lot, but they were all fantastic. No clunkers. Let's move on then to number six, The Grand Carnival. On the Road. This is another opportunity for me to revisit a game that I had covered years ago when it was on Kickstarter, and um, apply a really big, ambitious... um, what do you call it? Expansion. The On the Road expansion takes the already brilliant gameplay of the Grand Carnival, which was a... I like to call it a double-decker tile layer, because there's two types of tiles. One type of tile is the foundation tiles, and you're trying to grab them to build the foundation... That where you'll put your carnival. And then the other one are the attractions. And those are the polyomino, Tetris-type things. And you're trying to build those on the foundation. So you've got two levels of of, uh, of tile laying. And then on top of that, you've got your customers who you're trying to make a perfect maze of attractions to get everybody to stop and give you uh, victory points for all the great attractions you've made. So... That was the original game. You can watch my original run through, um, which with a really ugly prototype, or you can watch my new run through with a really good looking final version of the game and a good looking prototype. Here's the deal: On the roads takes the core gameplay and really blows it up. I forget there's like four or five different individual modules you can turn on. You can bring clowns. You can bring super structures. You can there's uh bring lots of stuff. And the most interesting thing about this game is you can mix and match them. We've seen a lot of expansions to do this, it's just mixing and matching different uh you know expand content. But the game comes with a series of cities setups that you can choose. You can say, hey, we're going to visit Chicago. We're going to visit St. Louis. And what that means is, oh, use this particular combination of the modules and this particular alternate version of how you score the game. And this was really impressive to me. Jen and I, we visited a few different cities. It's like, oh my gosh, this changes everything about the game. We now score um, the uh, attendees so radically differently and so much variety comes out of this that you can mix and match however you want or you can use these pre-mixed ones with all the different cities that you're on the road to go see and it just made an already great game well first of all I should warn you it really pushes it. If you play some of the heavier cities, the ge- I mean, Jen's like, oh my gosh. I remember this, I mean, Jen remembered this game from, six- from when we played it, uh, probably, I think back in 2019. She remembered it really well and really liked it. And was like, this is getting almost too heavy now. But you can play some of the lighter cities or you can leave things on or off. So the Grand Carnival was already a great tile later and it's gotten even better with On the Road, which was number six. Then we go on to number five, a Globetrotting. Oh my goodness. For people who are prone to saying, can we stop with the Roland rights? Is there really anything more that can be done? I would like to enter into Evidence Exhibit A, globe trotting, which is a roll-and-write where you don't write on a piece of paper, you write on a real 3D globe, as you and everybody else is trying to plan your perfect, or three perfect vacations. One for spring, one for summer, one for autumn. And you do it with really strict restrictions based on a series of cards that come out. It's really, I guess, more of a flip-and-write, because there's no rolling of dice. But every round, new cards come out, and you've got to pick one of those cards as another stop in one of your three trips, and eventually, once you figure out which stop you want to make and um, which trip you want to put it on, you take that globe, you put it in this little holder, you line up the two des- you know your starting and your destination point, and then you use the holders kind of a ruler to be able to draw a straight line between the two stops. And in this way, over the course of the game, you have more and more locations you're going to visit. But Like everybody, you don't want long flights. The longer the flight you book for yourself, the more it's going to cost, which is going to cost you at the end of the game. So there's this real tension because sometimes you want to make huge! I want to fly literally halfway around the world, because this is the perfect card, and I need to get this, because, did I mention each one of your three trips in your spring, summer, and fall have unique bonuses that you want to take advantage of. You might have one where, okay, I want to visit all historical sites, or one where I just want to spend all my time on the beach, and oh my god, the perfect beach one, but I will literally have to fly from Sydney to Chicago to do it. Or, there's no beaches in Chicago, but you know what I mean. I really want restaurants. I have to fly to Chicago. That's going to be hugely expensive. Is it worth that extra cost to be able to unlock more points off of this goal. And the gameplay is great. But honestly, the toy factor of this game is what makes it really special. Everybody gets their own globe, and the nice thing is the globes just pop apart really easy, so they, they collapse down. So the box isn't as big as you would think it is. A lot of people have asked me after I put my video up, yeah, but won't this be the biggest box on my shelf? You'd be surprised. My prototype box was surprisingly small. It's basically just like a slightly uh, thicker version of an Agricola box. I don't know what the real box is going to look like, but my prototype was very impressive. Everything about this game is impressive. Both Jen and I fell hardcore in love with it. Uh, number five of the month. That was. Another paid Kickstarter preview for globe trotting. Phew! Okay, then let's move on to number four Dice Miner. Oh my goodness, I am so glad that my buddy Ruel Gaviola sat me down and got me to play this game at the Dice Tower West Convention uh, earlier this year, back in February, I think. I'd heard a lot about it, but I'd heard from some folks that, oh, it's just really simple, it's practically a featherweight game, and there's really no decisions. Anybody who tells you that is flat-out wrong. This is one of the most brilliant dice-drafting games I've ever seen, because you play through three mountains that you are going to mine, where dwarves, try Trying to get treasures out of a mountain to be able to deal with invading dragons, you know, standard Tolkieny type stuff. But on your turn, you can always grab one um uh one die from the top of the mountain. And the uh and I, and I should say by the way, folks, if you're watch- if you're listening on the podcast rather than watching, the game comes with this really cool mountain at the beginning of the round. You pour all these dice onto, it, and it makes this neat little mountain of dice. And you're always drafting from the top, working your way down, kind of like a reverse of the pyramid in. Seven Wonders Duel, but with dice. And so, on your turn, you usually have two or three, maybe even four different dice to choose from, and you take one and you add it to your collection of dice. And there are bad dice, like the dragons you have to fight, but there's good dice, like the weapons that will help you fight them so you can convert them into points. Or there's a magic dice that will let you re-roll, but the coolest die of all are the beer. Dwarves make good beer, and if you grab one of those um, beer dice, they do nothing for you. they are no points. But on a future turn, you can give that beer die to somebody else. They re-roll it. You don't know what you're going to give them. You might give them exactly what they want. But then that lets you, on your turn, instead of only taking the dice from the top of the mountain, you can grab a die from anywhere on the outsides of the mountain. So suddenly, your options explode. And... Jen and I, we have played this game several times. I played it several times at Dice Tower West with Royal Gaviola. And since getting home, I bought my own copy. That's how much I enjoyed it. uh, Because doing Rata Runs Through, I don't have time to buy copies. I've got too many um, uh, publisher-submitted copies of games that I need to cover. But I wanted to play this so much with Jen. I got it. Jen fell in love with it. I fell in love with it. This is still a filler length game, but there are surprising hidden depths and it's just so much fun, especially as a two-player game, because in a two-player game, you're dividing the entire mountain's worth of dice between two people, which means you occasionally get to roll like a dozen dice at once. And it's so fun. It's so satisfying. Everything about Dice Miner is phenomenal. Uh, And it was our number four of the month, but there's even better stuff, folks. Number three of the month is a tiny little deck of cards called Pocket Master Builder, and the reason I was really interested in this one is because it is from uh, an, an East Asian designer, uh, Wei Min Ling, who previously I would played a couple of other games, Walking in Burano and Walking in Provence, and both of those games I've done videos for both of them are amazing. Absolutely phenomenal, and nobody seems to know about uh, a Wayman Ling's pedigree. But as soon as I saw, he has a new game, which is all about you know collecting resources to um, help build up this little uh, you know Renaissance era kingdom. You know, uh, you know, deploying your workers to get the the stone and the bricks and the lumber to be able to build castles and taverns and stuff like that. Very standard stuff, really uh, typical, you know, uh, Euro style gameplay. But the entire game is a tiny deck of cards, um, or a kind of standard deck of cards, and a bunch of cubes that represent your workers. And here's the deal: every round, and the game takes place over. Oh no, it's a fix. It's not a fixed number of rounds. It's basically once one player has successfully built their sixth building, that triggers the end of the game. But every round, you have a hand of cards. And uh, these are multi-use cards, which I love. And so, every round, you will take... uh, First thing you have to do is take one of the cards and play it somewhere in the kingdom, in the the courtyard, as a blueprint. It's not built yet. This is something that has been proposed. I propose we build a tavern over here on this street. I propose we build a, a tannery over here. And all the sides of these cards have little icons that represent the goods that can be generated by the card. So you have to be very careful because you want to match these outer icons with the existing ones that are already on the board so that they match color. Because after I put this card on the board, it's not a built building yet, I can then put one or more of my cubes on those little resource generating spaces, which means those workers are ready to generate resources for me later when I actually build. And so, there's this really, really interesting jigsaw puzzle element as you're trying to figure out the perfect place to put these blueprints, let's call them, so that you can get maximum output when you put workers on these cards. But now, the next thing you do on your turn is, of the cards that are still in your hand, um, or of the cards that are already out there, you can say... I'm going to build. Hey, that tavern that you put down there two turns ago so that you could get some stone, I'm going to build that right now because I've got some workers over here that are going to give me all of the lumber I need to build that tavern. But the thing is, so I could pull these workers back off the board, at which point they're exhausted and I have to spend resources to get them back, or... I can take the cards that are still in my hand and discard them to get resources as well. So again, the multi-use card gameplay is strong here. And it's kind of hard to describe. You really need to see it. I'm probably going to do a solo run through it for the Rado Recluse, which is probably what you're looking at right now. Uh, My Recluse playthrough of it, because Jen, I enjoyed it so much as a two-player game. I cannot wait to play it solo. But again... Like Walking in Provence and Walking in Burano, it seems on the surface so simple, and yet it is so deep and so crunchy. I think this might be Jen's game of the month. And it's my number three of the month, even though it's just a deck of cards and some cubes. Number three, Pocket Master Builder. But we're not done yet, folks. There's even better stuff. How about number two, Space Station Phoenix? Oh my goodness gracious. Oh, this might be Jen's number one. of the, But Jen's going to have a hard time. I'm going to be recording the uh, Jen Jogs, where we do... I mean, I make my ranking of games in the Roto Rounds up. Jen does hers in the Jen Jogs, which is an exclusive video for members on YouTube or backers on Patreon. But anyway, I wonder what she will pick. I bet you anything one of these two will be her favorites. And they're I think they're both fantastic, too. But anyway... Um, This game is a worker placement game where we are trying to build space stations in orbit around the Earth, in the far future. In a future where we've solved all our problems and we've made first contact with a bunch of different alien races, the aliens are coming to visit our planet, but they can't survive on our planet. So we're making habitable space stations that they can stay on while they visit. And here's the thing, folks. It is hard getting building materials into orbit, even in the future. So what we've done is, each of us has launched a fleet of nine building ships uh, that are worker placement cards, basically. That we can... uh, Activate to um, you know convert goods into other goods, to invite more aliens to come to visit us on Earth, or to actually build new modules to add to our space station. And all these modules, once they get populated with aliens, start unlocking all kinds of engine-building greatness. Here's the thing, though. The number one thing we need to build these modules is metal. Metal is very heavy. The best source of metal is our fleet of ships. Because, like I said, when the game starts, you have a 3 by 3 grid of 9 ships. F- um, four of those are the same every time you play. No, five of them are the same basic ships, and then there was a draft at the beginning of the game to get four additional ones that give everybody unique, special, more powerful versions of actions. And anytime you want, you can... One of the actions you can do is dismantle a ship. Rip it apart down to its component parts so that it can be converted into metal to actually build the station. And as soon as you do that, that's great. Hey, I can build a station. That's how I win the game. That's also how I build a stronger and stronger engine for resource generation when the aliens come and visit us on my space station. Here's the problem, though. I just got rid of one of the nine worker placement spots I've got because everybody has their own little collection. And the more of these things you dismantle, the less actions you can do. Except... You aren't limited to only sending your workers to your ships. You can send your workers to your opponent's ships as well. So if I'm just ripping my fleet apart so I can build more, no problem. I can just go to yours. Now, I have to pay a premium. I have to pay extra resources directly to you to use your ship, but then I can keep building. You're thinking the same thing, Uh, which is why if everybody's ripped apart their fleets, there are some general-purpose, really expensive, crappy ships that anybody can use, but you don't want to use those because they cost twice as much. They're half as effective. So you want to use yours or you want to use your opponents, um, but everybody's literally... It's, it's interesting. There's two halves of this game. There's the engine building of making the station because every once in a while, you get to run your station and get all kinds of good stuff. The bigger your station, the stronger the engine. But there's the first half of the game, the worker placement, which is how you build. And you build your engine by destroying your worker placement game. I've never seen anything quite like it. I've seen... No, that's not true. In um, some deck builders, like Valley of the Kings or Dale of Merchants, you've seen deck builders where, hey, I want to build up my deck, but eventually I have to start pulling cards out to score points and rip my deck apart. Here they've done it where you're ripping apart a worker placement game to make a stronger engine building game. It's amazing. It's so sharp. There's so much variety, so much um, replayability because the game comes with a ton of components. Very impressive. Number two of the month, Space Station Phoenix. But something even more impressive still, folks, my number one game of the month, Amon Ray, the 20th Anniversary Edition. And here's the deal, folks. I have wanted to play Amon Ray, which is widely considered by a lot of people to be design superstar Reiner Knizia's greatest design of all time. Certainly in one of his gra- He did like this auction trilogy years ago, and a lot of people say Amon Ray is the best. I've wanted to play this game for 20 years. We got the 20th anniversary is what i played this month. But I never have because it's a three-player minimum game, which was so often the case 20 years ago. Here's the deal, folks. Um, on Kickstarter right now, I've done a paid Kickstarter preview for this. There's the 20th anniversary edition, completely revamped art, absolutely gorgeous. The game has never looked this good for art from Vincent Dutre. And the game, uh, it's still the classic gameplay that everybody has loved for two decades. But they have... Uh, Reiner Knizia has come back to his baby and I forget he's either added four or five new modules worth of gameplay and one of them the one that I really care about is called Governors and the Governors which you can use at any player count but if you use it it can turn the game into a two player game And it's awesome. And now, having played Amon Ray as an official two-player game with the Governor's mini-expansion, oh my gosh, I see why people have been raving about this game for so long. It is literally one of the most brilliant auction games I've ever seen. You'll be able to watch my run-through of it when the game goes live on Kickstarter. Both Jen and I were completely blown away. And, um, oh my gosh, and these new expansions, I mean, there's the Governor's, which basically means um, every province you're bidding on, if you know Amon Ray, has a Governor associated with it as well and so in a two-player game you're actually instead of bidding on one every round you're bidding on two one for the province one for the governor and so it adds this extra level of tension although the governors can be worked uh, they can be like a side bid you can be doing at a higher player count kind of game but there's other stuff too there's unique player powers there's um, statues of the gods that have all kinds of stuff really gorgeous miniatures amazing art one of the greatest auction games of all time from one of the greatest board game designers of all time getting one of the most lavished reprints that we're likely to see this Year is a surprise that my number one for the month had to be Almond Ray, the 20th anniversary edition. And that was it, folks. Like I said up front, not a lot of games, but not a clunker among them. So many great, great things. We will see if things get back to normal in July. Because, of course, in another month, I'll be doing another roundup of everything we played and everything Shay and Ryan and, and Amy and Maggie. Oh, ''I forgot about Amy and Maggie. They covered a game too, didn't they?'' I'm going to have to edit that in after the fact, which is why the video I've already watched was a little confusing because I had to throw an edit in. Oh, I'm such a dummy. But uh, I'm going to worry about that after I'm done filming right now because i got some editing to do, folks. And I've got one more edit up my sleeve, and this is a big one. Bear with me, folks. It's the first time I've ever tried this. Normally, I end the monthly roundup saying thanks to you, the audience, and also thanks to the sponsor of the show, Fun Again Games. And this month. I'm doing things a little out of order. First of all, thank you, sponsor of the show, Fun Again Games. And now, I'm going to get a little bit more up close and personal with the thanks to every single one of you. Because if you support the show on Patreon, on YouTube as a member, or on Twitch as a subscriber, well, your name should be appearing somewhere on this... Big, gigantic, alphabetized list. I want to give credit where credit is due. It's all of you folks who make this show go. And I want to do a special shout-out to the high-level backers. So I'm going to say thank you to them by name while we watch the scroll. Uh, You know, this is kind of the end credits of the show. So uh, wish me luck, folks. Here we go. Thank you so much, Adrian Dong. And Aistis Samuel Ionis. Ben, uh, Baronike Campman, Blake Wilson, Chris Arnold, Cobra Misfit, thank you all very much, Dan Halligan, Davey Davis, Dr. Fu, Eric Z, Hans Peter Back, Heather uh, Ruderian, Jay Huber, Jeff Glasson, Jeff Hoffman, Jerry Reese, Jimmy Schroeder Hansen, thank you all very much for keeping the show going. Uh, Cameron Zafar, uh, Caitlin Albert, uh, Kisa Griffin, Lex, Lisa needs braces. Lisa, get those braces. And thanks again. Uh, Marilyn, uh, Marlon uh, Cruz, also known as El Crosso, Martin Griffin, Mike Bloom, Mom Gamer, Nicola Taylor, Paul Martinez, Salma Lee, Seraphonite Games, Spielport, uh, friendly, friendly Local Game Store, Stacey Lee, Steve, Ericolini, Ir- Tom Cohen, and Victory BHG. Thanks so much to all of you for going the extra mile, and thanks to everybody else Thank you, everybody. Uh, You make the show go. And I hope you enjoyed the roundup. We'll see you again next month. Have a nice day, everybody. Talk to you later. So long. Uh, Bye-bye.